You're listening to Regen, formerly known as the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regen, visit rivercitychurch.us. The following sermon was originally preached during the spring of 2018. We hope you enjoy this special archival content from Regen. Oh, just getting started with the spring semester. How many of you guys are like, I'm here, I just got started with school, and I'm ready to be done already? So, no. Um, so, some of you are already like in senioritis mode. You're not even a senior in college yet, but you're, you're feeling it. You're feeling it. That's all right. Uh, yes, I, um, I do want to. Uh, so, uh, if anybody here, I don't know if we have any new people here, but my name is Sam. I'm the. Uh, college ministry director at River City Church, uh, and we are changing the world for Jesus one person at a time. Sometimes it's just one person that needs to, a little bit of love. Sometimes it's just one person who hears, needs to hear the message of grace through Jesus Christ that, that we need to share that with. Sometimes it's one person, right? One person can change the world. One person can cure cancer. One person can, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential in one person. And so we, because we believe that God values people, we value people, yeah? So, of course, tonight as I'm preaching, this is the like rule in Regenerate. If I speak something that speaks to your soul, you say. Amen. You guys got to shout back a little bit. Encourage me a little bit tonight. I've had a tough day. Okay, so I need some encouragement tonight. I'm going to need some of that. Um, so, I, and we, we want to learn how to shout down our preachers. So seriously, even if it's just like one of those slow burn, like, Mmm, kind of points. You can do that. Like you just say to warm cookie. Mmm, that's good. You know, or you can, or you can hallelujah, or help us, Lord. You know, whatever, uh, uh, whatever is uh, coming to you. Uh, I want to also take note. Um, I also want to let you guys know that as far as um, who you're going to be hearing from this semester, I am not the only person uh, who is capable of preaching. What? Um, and so we actually, um, at Regenerate, we are passionate not only about, um, uh, we're passionate about the Word of God, yes, but we're also passionate about raising up people to be who God has called them to be, to lead and to learn um, to do what God has called them to do. And uh, in First Timothy, it says that, that uh, a leader in the church should be able to teach. Um, and so, in, in lieu of that fact, we actually are beginning to train some of our leaders to preach. And so this semester, I'm really excited to tell you guys that we're going to have some guest speakers from among your own ranks. And so you guys are going to need to learn how to shout them down and give them some encouragement so that way we can raise up some preachers and regenerate. Amen? Because I believe that God has put gifts inside of you. I believe that God is preparing some of you. Um, some of you are going to go into, into the ministry, quote unquote. Some of you are just are going to go and be amazing social workers. Some of you are going to go and be amazing nurses and teachers and doctors and lawyers and whatever else. You guys are going to go do amazing things, but the Holy Spirit wants to equip you during this time in college. This is a time for you to be trained in who God has made you to be and where God is calling you to go. Amen. So I'm really excited about that this semester. I'm really excited about uh, being able to hear from, uh, from some of our own and also to explore the idea of Christianese. So, which is the name of our sermon series, Christianese. What the heck did you just say, right? Um, Christianese, we all, uh, this, our, our, what we're doing this semester is we're looking at, rather than just like carving out an entire book of the Bible, how many of you guys really enjoyed Hosea last semester? All right, it's okay, you can be honest if you didn't, um, but... <laughs> 
Also, we and we've we've gone through several books here in Regenerate, uh, but this semester we're, we are going going to go through um, the idea. Just kind of, this is more of a topical series, but we are still going to preach from the Word. So we're still going to be exegeting from the Word of God, but. The idea here is we're going to explore Christianese because we all uh, have language that we speak, right? We talk different when we're with our family than we do when we're with other people. We talk differently when we're with some of our friends who are like, yeah, like acting all cool. And then you act all straight when you're with other people, right? How many of you talk differently to your grandparents than you do to your best friend? Right? You know that you do. You're not going to be like, sup, Grandpa? Um, nobody does that. <laughs> so... Uh, so this is, uh, this is the thing like, oh, Jamie does, never mind. Um, <laughs> the point is that we use like language, we use slang, and the thing is like, I became a Christian when I was six years old, and so I've been speaking Christianese for a long time, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it sometimes. And we as Christians don't even realize that. Maybe you're not a Christian, you're here tonight, you're like, I, what? Uh, what are we, why are we even talking about this? Because Christians say weird stuff. Amen? Yeah. Sometimes Christians say weird stuff and nobody knows what the deuce they're saying out in the real world. When they, and so one of the words we're going to be looking at tonight is saved. 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 Like, we use this term a lot in Christianity. Are you saved? Have you been saved? And then people get even more confused when you start throwing in terminology like wash in the blood of the Lamb. And say, no, hallelujah. But you're like, you want to, you know, you say, people talk about being saved in, in Christian culture. Uh, and this comes up a lot. I think people in, in, in Christianity and Christian circles use this word far more than anybody else. Like, I don't know if you guys hear people talking about being saved in school or in your workplace or whatever. But when you think of the word saved, what does it mean? What does it mean to be saved? Anybody? Hands. Saved from fire and brimstone. Saved from fire and brimstone. Otto. Uh, means you don't die. Means you don't die, right? Okay, so like you're drowning, somebody grabs you, you just got saved, right? What else? What else do we think? When you, when you think of the word saved, maybe there's like a specific, a specific experience in your life that comes to mind. Henry. Like uh, when you're on a Microsoft Word. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. Save your work. Okay. That is number one rule of college. You do not want to be like two in the morning. You're like 10 pages into that paper and then you forgot to hit save and your laptop dies. Happens to everyone. So (laughs) save your work. Right. Um, Yeah. Because if you don't save it, then it's going to be lost forever and you'll never get it back, right? Saved. Saved. But most of the time when people talk about save, yeah, they use terms like that. Save your work or, or that lifeguard saved my life, you know? Um, and so, but we use this term a lot in Christianity, but what does it actually mean? And so we're going to explore, go, did you have something to add? I was going to say just like to bring a new light to your life. To bring a new light to your life? Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of different ways, like I got saved, you know? And so like there's a there's, there's something that we, the way that we use the word is a little bit different. And so what we're going to do is we're going to examine uh, a key passage that I think is going to help us unpack and discover what this actually means. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn to the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. If you don't know where that is, it's towards the beginning of the New Testament, right after the four Gospels. So right after the book of John comes the book of Acts. Anybody ever read from the book of Acts before? It's a great book. Read it in your spare time. You guys are like, I don't have spare time. I, and I'm here to tell you that you do. You just don't realize it because you haven't graduated from college. And 
you don't, uh, you, you're not, you're not living life past college. You realize, you don't realize how much time you have on your hands right now. Okay. Anyway, side note, total side note. Getting back on track. Okay, we're going to be in, in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 25 and go down to verse 40. You guys ready? Here it goes. So it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Actually, we're just going to stop there. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would open up this scripture to us. What does it mean to be saved? Truly, God. Would you show us, God, would you, would you peel back the curtain on this? Would you show us heaven's perspective on this, God? Would you give us your heart for this? Would you help us to understand the very words that we speak? And would you convey something of the beauty of the gospel tonight? I pray that, that, that something special will be stirred up in people's hearts tonight. God, I pray that my words would be your words. God, I, I submit to your, to your authority. God, I submit to your word tonight. And I ask that your word would bear fruit in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints said, Amen. All right. Saved. Saved. We're going to be looking at this passage, but particular, particularly, we're going to be looking at verse 31, Acts 16, 31. That is going to be kind of the key verse in this. And what's interesting is, in, that pa- in this passage, the jailer asks Paul and Silas um, how to be saved. Now, what's going on in this passage? This is the book of Acts written by a doctor named Luke. Okay? It is the sequel to his best-selling, uh, <laughs> his best-selling story, The Gospel of Luke. Okay? Um, it was like number one New York Times, and so he followed it up with a sequel. Uh, Paul, or, uh, Luke, rather, was a companion of some of the early disciples of Jesus. Now, uh, it's... Uh, it's unlikely that he actually met Jesus in the flesh, but he was clearly a Christian who followed Jesus. And uh, Luke kept a very, he's very detail-oriented. His account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is fascinating. It is uh, chronologically like the most complete of all the Gospels, and it's very detailed, and that probably because he's a doctor. And so he continues the story in Acts with the Acts of the Apostles, and he tells of the early history of the church. It was written probably not later than A.D. 64. Uh, we know this because he doesn't mention anything about the, uh, uh, about the Apostle Paul, and uh, the church fathers tell us that the Apostle Paul most likely died during the Neronian persecution of about A.D. 64. Sorry, that's for all the nerds out there. Anyway, um, so the book of Acts was written to document what God was doing in the early church, and this is, some of the, this is an example of one of the things that God was doing. 
Paul and Silas were partners in ministry together. And what they were doing is they were going around preaching the gospel. And just before this, they had arrived in this city called Philippi. It's a coastal city in like modern day Greece. And they arrived there and they were preaching the gospel. Now remember, we talked about gospel last week. Remember? What's gospel mean? Can anybody just give me the quick definition? Gospel means good. Bingo. Good news. Yes, the gospel is good news. And Jesus came preaching, in Mark 1 we learned that Jesus came preaching the gospel of God, the good news of God. And the good news is, the emperor is not the true king. The true king is in heaven and his kingdom is coming down to earth through his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus makes a way for his kingdom to come down to earth and we get to be a part of that. And that is the good news, that the kingdom of God is here and now through the, through the death of and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news, bottom line. So Paul and Silas are out there preaching this. And then all of a sudden, they're getting chased around. I love this, actually. This is one of my favorite, like, funny parts of the Bible. Because he's, they're getting chased around by this girl who is demonized. She has an unclean, evil spirit affecting her. And to the point where she is, like, uh, she's a source of divination. And she's being uh, used by people in Philippi for money because she can like tell the future. She's a fortune teller, right? Side note, true, uh, the, the true God does not abuse you for what you have. Okay? Like, like these, these, this is, this is, you can tell that this is a false evil spirit at work because this, this girl is being exploited. God doesn't exploit you. That's for free. Okay, so and nobody shouts amen on that. That's okay. So, um, God doesn't exploit you. But anyway, so this girl's following him around. And I love this because earlier on it says that um, these, uh, she keeps going around. It says she followed Paul and us because Luke was there. He's like, she followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. <laughs> many days. And this is my favorite part. Paul having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But then there's a problem because now everybody's angry at them because why? They were making money by exploiting this girl. Now she doesn't have the evil spirit who's possessing her. So now she can't tell the future, which means that they've lost their income. So what do they do? They take Paul and Silas before the, tr- uh, before the government and they're like, these guys are stirring up trouble. And they're like, yeah. And then everybody just like mobs around them, beats them with sticks And then they throw him into jail. So, yeah, great day, right? And then, uh, so Paul and Silas are in jail. And I love this because in verse verse 25, it says it's midnight. And Paul and Silas are there in prison singing praise to God. Now, this is not like prison, like even nowadays where you're like, you're in a cell and you get like, you know, you get your food and stuff every day and you have a bed to sleep on. Like this is like a stone hewn, like, jail cell with like the bars very like medieval almost pre-medieval as a matter of fact and so and this is where Paul and Silas are they're in prison and then what's crazy is that this this uh, so this earthquake comes shakes the jail and so, and then suddenly all the cell doors are open and this whole thing happens with the jailer and then he says what do I need to do to be saved and the word that he uses here is a Greek word called sozo turn to your neighbor and say sozo now you're smart you know a Greek word Sozo. Sozo. So this word is used 97 times throughout the New Testament. 
And when it's used in the New Testament, it's mostly used in a spiritual sense. So uh, we learn in Mark, Matthew one twenty one that Jesus was destined to save the people of God from their sins. And Matthew 8.25, the disciples of Jesus asked him to save their lives because they're in the middle of a storm. They're like, so, so us, right? Save us. Jesus said that faith saves people in Luke 7.50. He said that he came to save the lost in Luke 19.10. Jesus also said that he came to save the world rather than condemn it in John 3.17. Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, proclaimed the fulfillment of a Jewish prophecy that says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved in Acts 2.21. Some Christians believe that you couldn't be saved unless you were circumcised. Ouch. Acts 15.1. <laughs> Ooh, we, don't, we don't hold too tightly to that anymore. Uh, Paul asks how we shall be saved, how are we going to be saved from God's wrath in Romans 5.9. And he says that we'll be saved by confession and belief in Romans 10.9. He says that we're saved by grace through faith in Ephesians 2.8. And we learn in 1 Timothy 1.16 that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hallelujah. Now... This word is rooted, though, in the, in the, the word was originally, uh, before the New Testament was written, it was used in the Septuagint, which was the Greek version of the Old Testament. Now, don't worry, you guys. I know this is like the background stuff, and it's like uh, a little bit annoying. I'm going to preach in a second, okay? But first, we've got to set up the foundation, okay? We've got to lay it down. So, here it goes. So, this is the thing. It's rooted in the Septuagint, and the, and the word in the Septuagint that was translated, I wish I had a marker, um, that was translated as sozo in the Greek uh, was a Hebrew word. I don't know if you can really see it up here, but that's okay. It's um, yasha. Um, that's the Hebrew word. To be, it means to save, right? Now, most of the time in the Old Testament, when this word pops up in the Hebrew or in the Greek version, it's used when the people of Israel are crying out because they need help. Why? Well, I mean, in First Chronicles 16.35, Second Chronicles 32.22, it was used a lot when God's people were crying out because they were literally about to be destroyed by foreign powers. Now, most of us, uh, okay, how many in this room are like Americans, right? You're like from America, okay? That's okay. Hold it high. We're proud. We're Americans. Um, so, if you're, an, if you're an American, you have not lived or grown up in a country that has been under threat of complete and utter destruction, okay? I mean, yeah, everybody's freaked out about nuclear war and everything right now, but that's, uh, that's another story. We are not under threat of being completely overrun and destroyed. God's people, the Israelites, they were constantly under that threat. And in Deuteronomy 28, God told them that he would bless them if they followed his law and they would be preserved and kept safe in their land. But then, if they disobeyed God's law, he said that you will certainly be overrun. Things are going to happen. And this is what would happen. They get run over, over, and over, and over, and over, and over. And then this, this cycle is perfectly illustrated in the book of Judges, where we read this. That, um, so this is, this is an example of what the, what the people were doing during that time and throughout Israel's history. It says in Judges 2, verse 18, this. Whenever the Lord raised up judges or leaders for them, the, the Lord was with the judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And then things went bad again. So this was the cycle. People were like, oh, save us. Because they're, why? Because, why is this? Did you, hold on, I just got to preach this for a second. Isn't it funny 
that, that you don't realize that you have a spiritual need until you have a physical one? Where some, the people of Israel are like crying out, save us. Why? Well, because we're in trouble. We don't realize that we have a spiritual need or that there is even spiritual, we're hardly even aware of spiritual reality until something hits home physically. Suddenly your wallet's thinner. Oh God, help me. You know, your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks your heart. Oh God, help me. You get in a fight with your parents. God, help me. Your car runs out of gas and you're hitchhiking. God, help me. You know, we don't a lot. Isn't it crazy that sometimes we don't even realize our spiritual need until it manifests itself in a physical need? Because God has to bring us to the point, and, and because, we're, because we tend to be so immature that God has to bring us to a point where the physical need pushes us towards the fact that we have a spiritual need that can only be met by God Himself. Alright, I've got to move on. Okay, so, because I've I got to get my, to my main points here. So, now, in, in, the, uh, so in the Hebrew culture, it was often a national cry. Like, we all need to be saved. Like, literally, we need to be saved. We've been overrun by the Philistines. Or by the Amalekites, or the Jebusites, or the, you know, trilobites. I don't know. Like we've been run over, we've been run over by all kinds of like ites, and so, you know, the Decepticons have attacked us. We need help, <laughs> and we literally need to be delivered. But and so, but also it can refer to personal deliverance from trouble, or uh, evildoers, like in Psalm seven one or Job twenty two twenty nine. So salvation is both for the individual, okay, and it's also for the nation as a whole. But this is the thing. Salvation can be both physical and spiritual, but it's real in either case. So salvation can be either physical or spiritual, but it's real in either case. And like I said, a lot of times we don't even become aware of the spiritual side of salvation that we need until it manifests itself in the physical. See, in the Old Testament, Israel was constantly oppressed. And most of the time, salvation was used in a corporate sense rather than an individual as they cried out for deliverance. But then occasionally it was for the individual. And also, there are several places in the Old Testament where it talks about being saved from sin. Okay, not just from, oh, there's many verses in the Old Testament that cry out, oh God, deliver us from our oppressors. But then there's also some that talk about delivering us from evil itself. And then Jesus, when he uh, taught his followers how to pray in Matthew uh, five or Matthew six, he says that uh, he says our fa- he teaches them to pray, saying, "Our Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, or from evil. Right? Deliver us from evil itself. And so what's crazy is that it's the voice of the oppressed." And there are people, we, and of course we would be remiss to say that there are not people in this country who are oppressed because we know. And these things are coming out all the time. Uh, we, when we hear about things like Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all, kind, all these hashtags that are coming up. There's, there's a season right now in our nation where a lot of things are being stirred up to the surface. Where we're recognizing that there are people groups that are being oppressed. Okay? So, and we need to recognize that. Because the voice of the oppressed cries out from the pages of scripture and God hears it. Okay? But salvation is also not just for groups of people, but also for the individual. And this is the crazy thing. In this, like you would think that in this situation, right? Paul and Silas are in prison. And you would think that in this situation, they're the ones crying out for salvation. Now, granted, we don't know exactly what they prayed, but they're singing hymns. Okay? So they're singing like praise you God songs, okay? A hymn is a praise you God kind of song. A hymn is a, you know, a hymn is a worship song, okay? And how many worship songs do we have like 
that we play at like River City or here at Regenerate that are like, oh God, save us. You know, like um, most of them are, are just praising God for his wonderfulness, for his attributes, for his greatness. Oh God, you are king over all the earth. There is no one like you in heaven above or on the earth below. Somebody give me an amen on this. Jesus, you have saved me from my sins. Jesus, you are awesome. You are pure. You are righteous. Just pouring out God's praises. And that's what Paul and Silas are doing here. What's crazy is that in this narrative, looking at the entire narrative of the Bible, you would think that it's the oppressed that need to cry out for salvation. But at the end of the story, there's an earthquake. The oppressed are released. And then the jailer, the oppressor, is the one who cries out for salvation. What is going on here? How do we move from... See, this is why God's kingdom is the kingdom of the upside down. Because it's not about... It, it, this, this guy who is oppressing Paul and Silas probably was one of the guys beating them with sticks. At the end of the night, kneels in front of them and says, What do I have to do to be saved? Like, what a wild thing. And what is he saying when he's saying saved? He's talking about a personal kind of salvation. He's not talking about deliverance from trouble, okay? He's obviously in authority over them. He's okay. He's, got, he's, got, he's a jailer. He's got job security. People are always, you're always going to need a jail in town, okay? That's not the issue. Also, it's, it could not have been... Now, you know, we can think about the situation, okay? There was an earthquake, right? We know that. But we know that it wasn't that he was crying out for salvation from the earthquake. The earthquake was over. So, therefore, it must have been in a spiritual sense, now remember, because just before this, Paul and Silas came into town and they were preaching the, they're preaching the gospel. So he probably heard the message. And what is the message? Well, it's echoed by, uh, it's first, the first time we really hear a gospel sermon is in the book of Acts chapter 2, where Peter says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that God has arrived on earth, and that he, is, he was killed, but He has been resurrected from death. So it's time to repent and turn from your sins and give your life to Jesus. He is the Savior. So, what's crazy is, I think that this guy had a moment of revelation. I don't know this guy. See, spiritual reality doesn't become like reality in our minds until God makes it so. This is why Paul could pray in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your hearts that may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Why? You need to have your eyes opened. And I can't open them for you. You can't open them for you. God has to open them for you. When it comes to your need, your spiritual need, so many of us walk around with deep spiritual needs that, we don't even, that we're not even aware of. So many of us walk around wounded, not even aware of it. So many of us walk around not even realizing what we need until Jesus opens our eyes through the Holy Spirit. And suddenly it becomes reality. I've been walking around busted up. I've been, I've been living my entire life with a broken heart. I have been, you know, I have been completely fake. I've been faking until I make it. I've been, I feel alone. Suddenly it becomes, uh, it becomes reality that I need something more than what I've got right now. So suddenly the jailer sees Paul and Silas. They come out of the prison and he goes, what do I got to do? I don't know what you got. But it opened up the doors to this prison, and I'm just—I—I I, I was about to like end my life because I was so scared of what would happen. Think about this: this dude is having an extreme day. He's like, because he, all he does is he like. There's a there's an earthquake. Have his, anybody ever been in an earthquake? Yeah. Okay. If you've been in an earthquake, I was in an earthquake in like 1989. I'm told I was a year old, so I don't remember it. My parents over here—they they remember it better than I do. 
But it's terrifying, okay? But so anyway, it would wake you up. It woke him up, and he looks, and all he sees is a bunch of open doors. Like, he wakes up and he sees all the cage doors open. Oh my gosh, I just lost my job. Except it's ancient times, so if I lose my job, I'd probably also lose my head. So I'm just going to go ahead and just, I guess this is it. And then Paul's like, wait, 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 yo, yo, hey, we're all here. It's okay, it's okay, don't do it. And then there's something about the way that Paul and Silas handled themselves in prison and the way that Paul and Silas handled themselves before the guard that he looked at them and said, I don't know what it is that you got, but obviously it's powerful and I need me some of that. That is what is going on here. He sees something in them. How powerful would it be if you and I could live our lives in such a way that somebody would see the glory of Christ in us and go, I don't know what you got, but I think that I need it. I didn't even know that I needed help, but I think that I need to be saved because suddenly I realized that I'm in need of a rescue and I didn't even realize that I was in the deep end, but now I am and I'm drowning and I need somebody to save me. So here's what it requires. Check it out. First of all, what is this? First of all, what is this salvation they're talking about? Well, it requires belief, first of all. See, Paul and Silas instructed him first to believe, which is essentially trust. We talked about this a little bit last week. Trust demonstrated in action. So what he's saying is believe in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And this is the crazy thing. So he asked him, what do I got to do? And as a pagan, his, his automatic response would be like, which temple do I need to go to sacrifice to? Do I need to go over to the temple of Artemis and have sex with a prostitute over there? Um, do I need to go over to this temple and offer a child sacrifice? Do I need to offer an animal over at this temple? Do I need to like burn incense to this? Like, where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And they're like, believe. Believe. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the, but this is the thing. This is not just mental assent. Because there are so many of us that can walk around and say, oh yeah, I, I believe in something. Because we're Americans. We just believe. Like we believe in our sports teams. Believe, you know. Believe, I believe. I just believe. And so, what, in what? What do you believe in? Like, I believe that we're going to win. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen, okay? It just means that you believe something that's false. Like, you know. I was, I was on a little, I remember playing like, um, I remember playing Little League and playing baseball growing up. I could believe that I was a great ball player as much as I wanted, but I wasn't, okay? I'm, I'm man enough to admit that now, okay? I could believe it as much as I want. So, but salvation requires belief, trust. But the second part is important. Trust in who? Christ alone. Alone. There are no other steps for spiritual salvation. There's not a ladder that you have to ascend. There's not an amount of money that you have to pay. So if you're involved in any kind of religion that's saying you have to pay money to get saved, get out of that one and try to get your money back and then come over to the church of Jesus. We'll let you in and not make you pay. Here's the thing. Salvation is in Christ alone. In Christ alone. See, there are no other steps for spiritual salvation. It is the act of recognizing what God has already been working in your heart that brings you to the point of salvation. See, in Titus 3, 4 through 5, it says that it's not by any works that we did, but by the washing of renewal and regeneration. That's where we get our name from. Regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? It means that before you even came to, and said that, to Jesus and said, I think I need to be saved, God was changing you from the inside out. And suddenly it's just a moment of realization that God's been doing it the entire time. Wow. I didn't even realize that God was holding me and keeping me from drowning in the deep end until just literally right now. I need to trust in Jesus. 
See, the, the verb here is, appos- or the uh, phrase here is appositional. He's saying like, but trust in the Lord who, and it's, you could almost write it this way, believe in the Lord who is Jesus. The, the Jesus is the Lord. He is the God of heaven and earth. He created all things and He sustains all things. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Trust in Him. And it is a problem when we as Christians don't acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus and we only acknowledge the friendship. It's really easy to say Jesus is my homie. It's another thing to say Jesus is my master. And I serve Him. And I will believe in Him and I will trust Him, including with things that I think are ouchy for me. Things that I would rather not listen to. Salvation is in Christ alone. And then thirdly, salvation is available to anyone. I love this. Because, like, as Christians, um, often, if you've grown up in, in the Christian world, you kind of have this understanding that uh, Christian faith is something that, like, where we say, like, um, have you ever heard the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart? Right? You just have to accept Jesus into your heart, which, um, look it up in your Bibles this week. You won't find it. Um, there's... <laughs> You just, need to, you just need to let Jesus live in your heart. Now, that's a good anal- in some cases, that's a good analogy. I know that's the first way that I kind of understood the idea of God living in me, was living in my heart. You know, I was six years old, so it, made, it makes more sense. Children are, children are awesome, because they just, they just get it, you know, without having to have a whole lot of explanation. And, but they, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. I love this. You and your household. You and your household. Now, for me, I kind of balk at that because I'm like, whoa, 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 Paul. You know, like, the jailer can get saved. I get that. But you can't just automatically, like, say, and the rest of them, too. Like, they have to make a decision, right? And he's just saying, and what's Paul saying? He's saying, the God, your God, the person that you put your trust in, that's for your whole family. Everybody. Want, bring them all in. Tell them about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And also, a side note. This is, this is just a side note, and this is just me, okay? So I'm stepping over here. This is Sam Maines' opinion, okay? Men, lead the way in your families. Young men, when you guys grow up and have families, when you have a wife and children, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust in Him, and you lead your family, okay? This man took, this man took, the, step, took the step to, to lead the way and took like that awkward responsibility of trusting in Jesus. And then you know what it says? The rest of his family got saved. I'm not saying this is magic. It's not. I'm just saying step up and take responsibility spiritually because that's going to be required of you as a man of God and a leader of household. Side note. Okay, back to the sermon. So, (laughs) believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and all your household. And then what's awesome, I love this, the dude who arrested him, who, you know, got caught beating him on YouTube and it got posted everywhere or whatever, that same cop goes, why don't you come over for dinner? Let's hang out. You're awesome. I can't believe I arrested you, you know. And then they have dinner together at his house. What a transformation. He's the dude who beat him, and now he's the dude who's feeding him. And then it gets even, this is another, this is a really funny chapter. You should read it sometime. Because then after this, they come running because they find out that Paul was a Roman citizen. And they're like, oh my gosh, we did not realize that. We thought you were a foreigner. I am so sorry. Like apparently it was acceptable to just beat people if they're from another country. Um, It was ancient times, okay. But they come running to Paul. And then uh, the uh, the jailer tells him like the next morning when he brings him Starbucks and uh, like waffles and more and stuff. He's like, hey, Paul. Um, so they, uh, they said that you can leave now and then he, uh, because they made a mistake. And then Paul, 
this is what I love about Paul. He's he's not like perfect. He's kind of like he gets a little salty, and then he's this, and then he's like, no, you know what? You have them come over here and tell it to my face. I want them to come over here. I want them to experience the embarrassment of knowing that they were wrong, and then I'm going to walk free. And then he and, and it happens. It's really funny. Anyway, I don't know if that was totally right or wrong of Paul to do that, but he has a lot of attitude, and I really love that. Anyway. The jailer's whole family was invited to join him in his decision to trust, and the result is an entire family changing direction. Your family could change direction. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what kind of background you're from. I don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of church background you came from, spiritual background, whatever. But all I know is this, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and if he saves you, he can save your family line. You might think that where you come from or whatever has happened in your past has put you in a direction where, oh, well, my family always is fill in the blank. You know us Smiths, we're always fill in the blank. You know us O'Malley's, we're always fill in the blank. You know us Mainses, we're always fill... You know, sometimes we speak these curses over ourselves and we believe these lies about our families that were never intended by the maker of heaven and earth. But you have the chance by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved and to actually redirect the direction of your entire family. I believe that's for somebody tonight. God wants to do great things through you. And you can establish a legacy of faith by placing your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Paul would say in his letter to the Ephesians that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that you are saved. And what are you saved from? Sin, death, eternity separated from God. And you're saved to life, you're saved to holiness, and you're saved to an eternity with God and His people. It's going to be a party. That's salvation. And it begins right now. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, you can actually do that tonight. Before we get into that, though, here's the question. Do people really need to be saved? (laughs) Why or why not? You may want to talk about what do people actually need to be saved from. Okay? So I want you guys to turn to one or two people around you. You can group up if you want. But discuss this question just for a couple minutes. Do people need to be saved really? Why or why not? Go for it. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Regen. If you have any questions about Regen, feel free to shoot us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. Regen, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.